Here we go. It's time to shift our schools. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools podcast. Shifting Our Schools is created and produced by Jeff Udick and David Carpenter. Shifting Our Schools podcast is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share like license. In other words, if you like what you hear, go ahead and use it. All right, well, welcome back to a Shifting Our Schools podcast. Uh, this is, I don't even know what episode number we're on, but we're on episode, David, 20... 24. 24, all right. Uh, tonight Four. we're joined by some people from the United States who have once again have gotten up early with us this morning with their cup of coffee in hand. And so we'll have them introduce ourselves. We've got two that have joined us now and one that's restarting their computer. So hopefully they will be along. Steve will be along shortly. But we'll go ahead and get started, and I'll have you guys introduce yourselves. So, Mark, let's start with you. Uh, go ahead and just tell us where you're from and kind of what you do. Uh, and then if you have a blog or a web address you want to throw in there, feel free to do that as well. Sure. Um, my name is Mark Hofer. Um, I'm a uh, faculty member at the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, which is um, – we're about two hours south of, a little bit southeast of Washington, D.C., um, and uh, I work uh, a lot with pre-service teachers on uh, an, an educational technology course, both uh, undergrad and master's level, and then we also have a kind of a unique program, uh, doctoral program in curriculum and um, educational technology, so you know, very much an emphasis on the curriculum and connecting that with technology, so... Um, that's, that's why I'm, I'm a former a high school uh, social studies teacher. That's yeah, a that's doctor a doctoral program. program. Mm, interesting. Yep. Yeah, and I'm a four high school social studies teacher, so that's uh, that's it. And typically, tend to do a lot of my research and project work in social studies. Great, excellent. Well, welcome. And Michael, how about you? Um, I'm Michael Kelly, and at present, I'm in Albany, New York, where I'm teaching at a democratic free high school, the Harriet Tubman Free School. Um, my background is is in teaching English as a foreign or, or second language. Um, and uh, I sort of opened up my latent geek tech uh, tendencies <laughs> and uh, got into educational technology down at the University of Virginia where I met Dr. Hofer and uh, Dr. Whitaker. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, so right now I'm, I'm teaching all sorts of stuff um, from uh, ethnic music class to... Uh, project science class to a sex ed class and uh, anything that comes in between and uh, I've been trying to integrate technology as best I can um, so I'm more in the post-service uh, arena if you will and uh, really excited about it it's, it's uh, interesting work <clears throat> great excellent and David how are you doing tonight things are wonderful just uh, another great day here in Taiwan. And how about you, Jeff? You've it's, been traveling a little bit. I have been traveling. I was uh, at the ECIS, the European Council for International Schools Administrative Conference, and had a great time there. And just got back from there on Monday uh, to a just sweltering hot Thailand. It is just crazy. At least the humidity's <laughs> left, but, you know, highs of 101, 102 with just enough humidity Ooh. to just make it 
disgustingly hot. But that's all right. I've got the AC on here, so I'm, I'm good to go. Um, so why don't you go ahead and get us started, David, maybe frame our, our conversation tonight around the uh, essential question that we have, and then we'll jump into hopefully a good 45-minute discussion or so. Excellent. Well, our uh, essential question is, how are we preparing pre-service teachers to be shifted educators? And in putting the show together tonight, um, I was thinking, who are some people that I know that are right in the thick of working with young uh, university students who are moving on to become teachers? And I went through a program a few years ago at the Curry School of the University of Virginia, and there I met Steve Whitaker, who will hopefully join us very soon, and Mark, who's here with us. And uh, I followed them a little bit, um, well, a lot. They used to do a podcast called the Gen Tech Boys, an excellent, excellent podcast that really got down to the practical of how are we integrating technology and information literacy into our schools. And sadly, these gentlemen uh, became, I think, a little <clears throat> bit too busy. And, and they stopped the podcast, so we decided to reunite them today. And so they're going to they're gonna share with us um, some of their experience, I think, when they were all going through the doctoral program at the University of Virginia. But since then, um, I know Mark's there at the William & Mary, and as you heard, he's, he's doing a, a pre-service program. And for Steve, we'll see what he's up to lately, but I think they're going to be able to share a lot of insights with us, and, and one of the secondary questions that I have for these fellas is if they were to put together um, a pre-service uh, uh, teacher program at a, a new university, what would they include in it to really help the teachers move into teaching the, the 21st century skills and move towards discovery learning and 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 be that facilitator on the side and, and, and not the so much the direct instruction person in the classroom. So Mark, why don't we why don't we go to you and, and see if you can give us some possibilities there when it comes to your experience in pre preparing pre service teachers. Sure. Uh, you know, first of all though I'd like to just clear the air a little bit. It wasn't that we became too busy at Gentech. It was just that the uh-huh. egos just could not coexist. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I think Steve is feigning, you know, technical difficulties because he's, you know, it's just it's difficulty to share the spotlight, you know. Oh, oh. <laughs> when you become oh, as big as I'll we get... were, you know, oh, it's tough, it's tough. Broke up the band. Uh, uh, egos. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking of the police, you know, when I was saying that. Exactly. <laughs> I'd be Sting, by the way. Just, just for the record. Oh, okay. All uh, right. Now that I've properly derailed things, uh, I just want to give a little Gentech flavor to this podcast. Uh, uh, yes. So, preparing preachers, teachers to be shifted educators. Um, you know, quite honestly, um, one of the things that we have in the in the states that is is very different, I think, than than you all experience in international schools is, um, you know, the the difficulty with balancing priorities and, and things with the uh, with the emphasis on standards based assessment and the you know typically restrictive curriculum standards and so on um, and in Virginia it happens to be one of the, at least particularly in social studies which is where I do my work um, the standards are particularly um, restrictive I guess uh, tend to emphasize facts and details you know rather than big picture thinking and you know themes and Developing understandings, so it's it's funny in our in our uh, teacher prep program, uh, we all of course tend to favor you know the more constructivist student based 
uh, student-centered kinds of learning experiences. But quite honestly, it's it's a real challenge for our students as they go out into the field, into this, uh, into the you know the, the educational political environment. So for us, I think just the in the big picture, it's a real balancing act between the kinds of experiences we want to provide our students, uh, the kinds of experiences we want them to uh, create for their students, and the reality we know we're sending them into. So that you know that's one of those things that kind of. Um, certainly has an impact on the way we approach things and uh, and uh, you know we're, we're very mindful of the fact that you know the a lot of the people do stay in Virginia so that's uh, something we need to, to be conscious of I guess or cognizant of so that we we're preparing them to be successful but at the same time preparing them in ways that we know are are going to help them provide meaningful learning experiences for their students so I don't know if that makes any sense but that's that's a challenge we, we definitely uh, are very conscious of Excellent. How about you, Michael? So, go ahead, Doc. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, Michael. Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, I um, think Michael, I, you have a very different experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I do, right. but I, I it's and <laughs> and but and it's it. I think that you know you you framed it really well. There's this reality in 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 the schools, and there's this trend, this shift that's going on. And and, I, and I've said before that I, I think that this uh, really gets down to thinking about how we look at what's going on in in schools. And I, I think there's there's going to be this unless we open it up a little bit. You know, the the idea of the discovery learning and, and the, the teachers standing back. I mean, that's that's very much at the heart of what what we're doing at, at uh, in this the free school where I work. Um, to an extreme, perhaps. Um, and I don't think that you know that's necessarily you know the answer for everybody. And should you know pre-service programs be geared you know towards that? But I think it's important that pre-service teachers certainly be aware of these you know the, the, the extremes and and to really try and get their head heads around what it means to allow students the freedom to explore and to you know use technology in, in different ways um, and that that's and that we're not really going to shift as long as those standards are so entrenched and institutionalized, um, um, and I don't know quite, you know, how to how to get at that. I, I've uh, for a long time I, I thought, okay, maybe uh, you know, sort of struggle from within the system. Um, um, now I'm finding it much more. Uh, effective and certainly more. What I'm interested in is to provide alternatives and to uh, come at, at at shifting things from that way. Um, and you know, I well, like I said, I my experience is is a lot different, and um, and sometimes I don't I don't know quite how to <laughs> reconcile it with. Uh, with, with you know what's going on um, at, in the mainstream, um, but I think I believe that it's uh, 
that this shift is that we're talking about it is very important and i think it can it can it can come a long way but it's it that that issue of of letting letting go for teachers giving giving up some of the control um which has to go all the way you know through the administrative levels and all the way through uh you know the the districts and whatnot and that's that's just a tall order you know are we preparing teachers for that, though? Do you think? Do you think our undergrad programs for new teachers that are coming out of universities um, are they preparing kids in new ways, or are we just going ahead and telling them, "Look, it's not it's not worth trying to change because you're going to get into a school system that isn't ready for it." I, I think my experience at William and Mary is that um, you know definitely, like for example, the science methods course, science teaching methods course is framed almost entirely around inquiry-based learning. So, you know, I, I think definitely the students are, um, are are being exposed to that. I think the challenge comes is when they go back to their schools or when they go into their practical placements or their student teaching, oftentimes, you know, they see a disconnect with what the, the typical practices they see perhaps in their schools versus what they're being taught in their methods. And I think it's a challenge. In fact, it came up at a meeting yesterday. Uh, we, were, we were trying to figure out uh, where to, to buy some credit hour time, you know, to, to start a new program. And one of the things we we discussed was the idea of not um, uh, of, of taking away some of the practical time uh, uh, right before their student teaching. But we realized that you know this is like an important socialization time for our, for our students in the schools. Right. And that mm-hmm. if we don't have, if we're not able to mediate, help them sort of make sense of what they're experiencing out in schools, and this perceived disconnect with what's happening in their methods courses, that you know <laughs> we're we're fearful that perhaps they'll be socialized, you know, um, uh, more quickly into, you know, maybe more restrictive ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't know if that makes any sense. So do you, so, and I should, I, uh, Jeff, I'm sorry, just one last thing, and I should say too that certainly. Um, I'm not in any way trying to sort of denigrate or or even paint teachers with a broad brush, but I think systemically um, in the United States mm. and particularly in Virginia, when teachers' job evaluation is tied to how their mm. students perform on standards-based tests mm-hmm. that are you know almost entirely rote recall, yeah, content-based. You know, it, it's a very logical and very practical. Um, um, approach to think about, well, it's hard for me to give up control in the classroom because right. my livelihood depends on their performance. And so that's, you know, so I, I fully get how teachers are really in a tough spot, and it's a systemic issue. It's not a personal it is. issue at all. It's not it's, it's not pre-service teaching issue either. I mean, these, right. these, this systemic aspect is administrative, it's institutional, and, and, and there is a disconnect between pre-service, post-service teaching and where these policies and regulations come from. And, you know, so, I, you know, I wonder if the, if, if the question is, are we preparing our administrators for the shift? You know, <laughs> yeah, we, we had, had, that, we had that episode. <laughs> it didn't go so well. <laughs> that was a pretty, 
but you know, this is, this is the thing, though. Like, if we continually get caught in this circle, you know, where I hear you guys saying, right. like, yeah, we are, you know, we are preparing pre-service teachers. The problem is that we're sticking new teachers and a new teaching style into an old system, and that's breaking the new teachers. And, you know, yep. I even see that here where at, at our school they've hired five annual subs. So they've hired five. This year they happen to be five girls or ladies that they've just, you know, have just graduated in Toronto. And so these are people straight out of college who are looking to get experiences. And they bring them here to our school. And so they just sub. And it's a great experience for them because they're subbing basically every day. And, you know, they're still in, they're involved in meetings and they're involved in, you know, all of the committees to do standards and benchmarks and blah, 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 blah. But you can totally see it being drained out of of them because you have older, mm. more experienced teachers and the institutional system itself saying, well, yeah, we know that that's, you know, that that's probably better, but that's just not the way we do it here. And so, you know, there'd be, but, there, but that's the disconnect, I think. And so mm. are we at a point then where it's time to just throw out education and start over? I mean, are we, too, when are we going to hit that point when we say, you know, this doesn't work, that we can train new pre-service teachers, but when they get in the institution, the institution ruins them. And, you know, we have, we, you know, and we know that it has to be systemic change. We need to not only reteach all of the teachers that are there, but we have to reteach society. We have to reteach our parents of what good education looks like because part of that change comes that parents expect to have the school look exactly what school looked like when they yeah. went through. And the same yeah. thing with administrators and administrative programs. You know, where I know administrative programs are talking about these same things when people are going through to become their administrative programs, but you get stuck in that institution that this mm -hmm. is the way we've always done it. And, and, and it's hard to get administrators, I think, to break out of that. And so, I, you know, when do we finally say this system is broken and we need an entirely new system? Yeah, I think, I think it's tricky because it's sort of like, um, you know, accountability and no child left behind. Who's going to argue against that? You know, what I mean, on the face of it, those are like uh, those are good things. You know, right. we want to make sure that all students have you know a quality educational experience, and you know we've gone down this road, and I think it's going to be hard, at least in the short run, to to you know to to change dramatically from that. So I mean, I almost wonder if. Well, first of all, one thing I like how you guys think of it in terms of shifting, because it's not a mm -hmm. revolution. It's not going to be a switch that's going to flip. It's going to be perhaps more of a gradual process and more of a deliberate. Because I think of shifting as being more deliberate. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I wonder, uh, we just, um, I've been working with a colleague at the University of Kentucky who, who, um, who uh, David knows, Kathy Swan, and we've been working with kids creating digital documentary films uh, in social studies classes. And we've been looking at it from the teacher's experience and what challenges they encounter and all that, you know, it, particularly in a standards-based environment. But in this most recent study that uh, we're just about to submit, we, we did a, more of a, uh, a comparison, you know, that's more akin to the kind of research that, you know, is more, uh, uh, I don't know what the, more currency these days, you know, like what's the content gains with one approach versus another, with a control group, you know, quasi-experimental design and all that. And uh, one of the things we found is that kids doing a, you know, kind of a more traditional approach to learning about uh, 19th century immigration to the United States versus kids creating a documentary film is the content gains in the same time frame. So they spent basically the same amount of time learning either way. And basically the content gains were slightly higher for the documentary group in terms of like a standardized test. Right. But, um, and so, you know, so nothing, nothing lost, nothing gained, essentially, you know, in terms of doing the documentary. But 
in terms of 21st century skills and authentic intellectual mm. work, the, the documentary project is far superior to a more traditional approach, you know, at least on those measures. Mm. And so if we can, even, I think even if we can say, look, doing this, doing a, a more student-centered, more inquiry-based approach doesn't take any more time necessarily, depending on how you design it. And they're not going to score any worse on the test. But look at all these additional skills and the enthusiasm and engagement that these kids have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think if we can design those kinds of studies and, and hopefully <clears throat> replicate those types of findings, because I think teachers are hungry to do this kind of stuff. I agree. I think they just feel very constrained. So, you know, so maybe it, it's going to be a very incremental kind of shift to say, look, we can have we can do both. It doesn't have to be. Uh, you know, an either-or situation. Mm. But that's going to take a lot of time because I think in the past, uh, my experience is a lot of like the Apple Classrooms is Tomorrow project and all those kinds of studies that came out, you know, during the 90s about, you know, using technology in constructivist ways all emphasized, you know, the creation of products and, you know, a lot of great stuff. But, you know, now people look back and they said, yeah, they spent six weeks doing this project, though. I could never do that. You know, there's mm -hmm. such a disconnect with those findings with the the environment we're in today. So I think a lot of people just sort of assume that, well, this is really about the soft skills. It's not about the content or, you know. So I think it's going to take a, a new way of thinking about, um, you know, uh, uh, comparing these mm -hmm. approaches and see, see how they work out. Because I'm convinced that they are possible. It's just, you know, it's just maybe more challenging. Yeah. Do we have time for that shift to happen? And I think this is, you know, this is my question. We're sitting in 2009. You know, I mean, the computer's not new. I'm sorry, it's not. And neither is the internet. I mean, this stuff is here and it's here to stay. And we can see the world changing around us. You know, I'm sitting um, here in Thailand, Skyping with you guys all over the world. I mean, <laughs> tell me that the world's not changing. And the problem is, I think, you know, it's a big institution. And I keep looking at what happened to the motor companies. You know, like Ford and GM and all those. You can't tell me they didn't see it coming. They were losing market share year after year to Toyota and Honda and everybody else. And it took one little thing. You know, it took one little downturn in the economy to wipe them out. And But because they were an institution that this is the way we've always done it, this will work. We will continue to build gigantic trucks that will only get 12 miles to the gallon, that it will be okay. And it wasn't until, you know, it takes one little thing to happen that basically just destroyed them. And now they have to go back. And it wasn't until that happened that they had to truly take a look at how they produced vehicles and what they're going to do to survive in a new world. And so I wonder, is that is that is what's going to happen? I mean, I, I can totally envision one day that all these educators show up to schools and no kids show up. Because they're learning online, you know? There's the University of the People, which is the link I'm going to share today, right? The University of the People. You can now go and get a university degree for free online. You know, there's MIT giving away their courseware. And I'm not saying that's right. a good thing, but if you're a 14 or 15-year-old and I don't have to get out of bed until 10 o'clock and still graduate from <laughs> high school, you tell me there's not a kid that's going to take that option and leave us all sitting here. You know, when you have the Florida <laughs> Virtual School that has something like 65,000 students in it now and are taking – you know, taking students away from public school systems. And when I was back in the States in February, I was talking to schools out of Washington State, and there was one school who's lost 200 kids to the virtual school that started in that state. And the superintendent is now looking at the principal saying, where the heck did the kids go? Because we're down $2 million in our funds. And it's not until that's happening that the school's looking at it and going, what the heck just happened? 
So mm-hmm. is that going to continue to happen? I mean, and that's and I'm you know, and when I said, do we just have to throw it out? And maybe we do because I'm afraid we're going to continue to push money in it, and you know, extending the school year like the new plan is or whatever it was that they approached, that's not going to help. That's not going to making kids go to school longer so we can cover more content rather than cover more learning, which is something that you were talking about that, you know, we feel like we can't do this learning thing because we have so much content that, you know, so what it took you six weeks to get through a project. If learning is happening, isn't that what we're about? But we're not right now, right? We're about content because they have to be able to pass that test in May. So, I mean, do we have time for the shift to happen? I mean, I know that's what this podcast is about, but the more I'm around the world, the more I see how the world is changing. I just don't know if we can shift fast enough. Sorry, I'm in a damper mood. (laughs) (laughs) Well well said. Jeff, from a a counseling point of view, human nature is – things can be terrible all around us. And and for most people, they're not going to change until they hit rock bottom. And we've – Probably many of us in, in our families or friends' lives, we, you've you've had someone do an intervention, whatever, to to step in and try to help people out and help them see where they've been lost a bit. And here we're talking about the educational system that's been lost for a long time. And so the question is, for me, I think about what's happening in the U.S. with President Obama saying we have to shift our entire economy to this green economy and and look out way to the future and be priming the pump to be ready to do these to do things in totally different ways and I know they're they're doing the talk when it comes to education but as you just referred to the ideas that secretary duncan are, is coming up with some of them it, they're just they're not out of the box enough and there are enough people out there that we know that have a lot of great ideas they just need to bring them in and, and let them share some ideas with them so when we look at pre-service education and we look at preparing our leaders in our universities. They seem like two big areas that if our universities in Canada and the U.S. really can get together and say, you know what, we have to come up with a unified program of we do need to teach these these young teachers to be shifted educators and we do need to help our administrators know what it means to have real learning and understanding happening and, and be risk takers and model that and say, you know what, this is the right thing. We have to take some risks because in the end, the kids are going to learn these big themes and concepts and they're going to have the skills that are going to help them in this green economy. Um, I, I think that that's one one of the things that needs to happen. So guys, to bring it back to the practical a little bit, I remember it was like a year ago, there was an article, something about the Curry School of Education getting some accolade or award for having a very, very good pre-service teaching program. And I'm just wondering, because you guys were there, what were some of the things that you were doing to prepare students to go out just in case they would go into a a school where they'd be called upon to be shifted educators? um, um, Michael, why don't we start with you? What were some things that you guys were doing? Uh, well, uh, one of the the big things was one introducing you know the new and emerging technologies and just talking about and, and getting some hands-on experience with using them and and thinking about how the different ways that they could be integrated and 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 pushing for um, you know all sorts of possibilities just you know push the envelope kind of thing um, and. <clears throat> For me, I have to admit, I'm, I wasn't very much um, 
mediating the reality <laughs> that they might face and and more uh you know just go out there and and, and push the boundaries um yes and so that that was a, a lot of what we did um yeah so what, were, what, what were the tools michael like you talk about yes. what were some of the new tools that were emerging um well uh podcasting blogs um sort of digital storytelling kind of things um one of the projects that was at, uh, was uh pretty interesting at, at the time I was there and is was uh, the primary access uh project which uh students use primary source uh materials to create you know digital narratives of uh, history and, and things and um and and digital voice recorders, whatever we could get our hands on, you know, right. um, flash animation, um, you know, that sort of thing. Cool. Uh, whiteboards or smart boards, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you feel that that teachers came out of that program ready to hit these schools? Like, if schools had digital recorders that that they understood not only how to use the digital recorder, but how to learn use it in a learning, you know, focused on the um, learning I, aspect. I, I think there was there's certainly the the understanding or the the foundation to to take off, but I to be honest, in my sort of cynical side, um, and as Mark touched on, you know that the reality uh, of of the institution and where they go, it you know really depended on where they ended up. Um, I know in Williamsburg, Mark, we've talked about this. There, there's that new school, you know, there that opened up, and they're purposefully moving in a in a tech direction and so I think um, were those, some of those teachers to end up there for example um, they could where that's it's a supported more supportive environment um, for tech integration um, but like I said I don't I, I, I am inclined to be a little cynical and and think not that they the students don't have the understanding and the experience to 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 really um, take advantage of the tech but you know, I don't. I don't. Depends on where they're at. Yeah. Hmm. You know, on the flip side, though, I will say um, here in um, in Williamsburg, they made a the superintendent um, is relatively new, like uh, maybe like three years, and he made a really he put basically all of his political clout behind the idea of really putting the 21st century tools into place, uh, and it was a huge, um, you know, basically every instructional space in the entire division ceiling mounted projector and speakers, a, a decked out teacher station with a document camera that can record video and, um, you know, a pod of four to six desktop computers in every classroom, you know, it, you know laptop carts for each department. And, you know, I mean, tons of, tons of stuff. I mean, just basically, it, you know, it was almost like a little treasure trove. And I have noticed that the, the teachers that um, are, uh, are either student teaching or have been hired by the, the local schools here that have come out of our program are really doing some amazing things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think even within the standards-based environment, because I think that this particular school division has really placed an emphasis on that. So I guess that I should retreat a little bit from my earlier statements in that uh, I think when, when a local system like a school or like a school division is committed to putting the tools in the hands of teachers and kids, uh, developing 21st century skills, it certainly is easier. It still isn't mm-hmm. an easy transition, you know, and it's still, mm-hmm. there's still going to be some, uh, you know, some, uh, 
uh, some challenges that they're going to encounter. But I believe that, you know, like ISTE, the uh, International Society for Technology and Education, they always talk about the essential conditions. If, you know, there's certain <laughs> conditions that have to be in place, you know, before, you know, you can effectively integrate technology. And I think, at least here, the essential conditions are there. You know, it, it, again, it may be difficult, but, I, but I've been actually really impressed. Just this week, I've, I've heard from a few people that are student teaching right now, and some of the resources that they've created, and their kids have created podcasts and videos to review content, and, you know, so it's like sort of that merging between the content and the, and the production and, and media creation and all that, that they, you know, that this, having those tools available certainly has helped. So at least we're not sending them into schools that are both restrictive in terms of the content and the technology. If you can mm -hmm. remove one of those barriers, I think you're, you're uh, you know, you're in better position perhaps. And so, I mean, that is one of the barriers is actually putting the tools in place. And one of the things that I love that Kim Cofino says all the time, who I work with here, she says, you know, the problem is, is it's not really a tool set that teachers have to have. It's a mindset. And, it, and I, th I think mm -hmm. that's it. You know, having the tools in place is one thing. But the tools mean absolutely nothing if you haven't made that individual mindset in teachers yep. of how to use the tools for learning. And, you know, yep. I've even seen teachers who have very little in the way of technology. And, and I, I think this goes beyond technology. It goes on it's, – it's a new mindset of how to teach. And, it, and I don't know how to get there. I think that's part of the problem, you know. And, and we come back to pre-service teachers are going through these programs and they're supposed to be getting this new mindset, but then they get stuck into an institution where people say, well, actually, you know, we have this test that everybody has to pass in May. Forget that, man. They've got to know their times table. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. right. and, and so I don't know. And I, I love to hear stories like that, you know, where there's, where there's districts, where there's superintendents who say, nope, we're going to do this. And how much time has been put into not only teaching the tools, but also to helping teachers change their mindset of how to use those tools to connect kids and engage them in, in relative and authentic projects. You know, in my experience in working with practicing teachers is that oftentimes they have the pedagogy, they have the pedagogical knowledge about how to do, you know, set up collaborative learning experiences, to do inquiry-based kinds of experiences. They have some technology knowledge and about, you know, about how to, you know, to, to navigate like a, a web database, you know, of information or, you know, whatever, right, yeah. right? But sometimes where they need some assistance is thinking about how to bring those two things together. Right. It's like, okay, well, what are, what are some particular tools that will help support inquiry-based learning in my class? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not as if they have to change their teaching style altogether. Right. Sometimes it's just a matter of taking those, what they've seen as two separate domains of knowledge and bringing them together so that they can make those connections yeah. for their teaching practice. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. And mm -hmm. I think, it you does. know, over, overseas, I see that all the time where, you know, uh, perfect examples with I was with a room of about 50 administrators just this weekend in Portugal. And I asked them how many of them use <coughs> Skype, right? And almost everybody overseas uses Skype. I mean, we all know what Skype is because you can call sure. around the world for free. And then I asked them how many of you are using Skype to actually hire teachers, where you can call a teacher for free in another country. <laughs> Not one person was, and you would have thought, wow. you would have thought yeah. that I had just like parted the Red Sea for them. You know what I mean? Like it, was, <laughs> it was like, but, but you, you make a really good point that they have their home life and they have their yeah. school life and it's trying to get like, and you know, they have the skills, they know how to use Skype. 
And when I was saying, you mean you're not having like our first grade teachers Skype in the mystery reader for the week, right? And it's grandma back in the States or from Taiwan or from Hong Kong or whatever <laughs> can get on Skype and actually read a book to the kids sitting in a class here in, in Bangkok. But the teachers already know how to use Skype. It's just trying to find the person on the right. other end to read the book. And But you're right. Like we have these – you know, we compartmentalize everything into this point where we, you know, we talk about using social social networks in school. And people are like, well, I just don't see how that works. Well, do you use Facebook? And like, you know, at my school in Shanghai, we were running 80% of the teachers were had a Facebook account. And here at my school, we're probably running close to 70 or 75% of our teachers here have Facebook accounts because that's what you use to connect to friends, right? That's where you go when you need to connect to a network. So when we talk about, okay, well, you know how one works. You see the power in making connections with people. What if we could actually apply that, what you know, a way a, a community runs? How could we apply that in education? How, why can't we set up a Facebook-type site here at school and use that to help kids connect across grade levels, across disciplines, and learn from each other? And it's interesting because you're right. Like there's this – if we can just help teachers sometimes just kind of you know dust off that line between what they know – and what, how to use that in the classroom, I think you can make a big shift in just a little bit of way. But, that, that, again, that's some professional development that needs to be done. Well, you, you know, Jeff, I, I completely agree with everything you said except with one slight little twist on it. I think my, my experience and perspective says that for teachers that aren't shifted or that maybe haven't figured out yet ways to connect technology, you know, that they use personally and with their teaching or instruction, you know, or even their professional development, um, I think it's sometimes more effective to start with, for example, hey, let's find ways that we can connect our kids with, you know, other classes overseas or their grandparents or whatever. And now, okay, with that idea in mind, what are some tools that would support that? You know what I mean? Right. Um, if we want to do real inquiry with real data, what are some technologies that support that, either in terms of uh, uh, acquiring the data or analyzing the data or whatever, right? Right. And it's like, I think sometimes if, if you start from that instructional need and then map the technology to that rather than the other way around, I think for those mm -hmm. teachers that you, you didn't have them at hello, right. you know, those that's how sometimes you can pull them in. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And that's, you know, that's how we start every lesson is it's not, oh, we're going to blog and then try to figure out how the learning happens around blogging. But what do you right. want kids to do? You know, what is your learning outcome? And then we mm -hmm. can match that tool that will help you reach that learning outcome. No, I totally agree. Mm. You know, one of the things that's jumping out me a little, uh, a little bit when we read so much about new teachers and, and how we lose so many of them in the first three years and in that many school districts have put forth efforts to have mentoring programs. What, what I'm hearing from you two very much is that we need, to, in each of our schools, have those shifted mentors that, that you're going to do all this hard work, in, in whether you're at UVA or William and Mary, whatever, University of Kentucky, and, and that you're going to have your, your young teachers going out into these schools that you know a lot about. Well, it sounds like more than ever, uh, if the schools have a mentoring program, you'd want to key in on those teachers who are the shifted teachers, who they can come in and support them and not say, twatty, that's the way we've always done it here. Um, so I think that, that that's one thing that could, could really help in this process, because otherwise um, we're just, we're just kind of running, running in the sand and not, and not moving forward. Um, Mark, you, you hit on this just a, a little bit just a moment ago um, 
the work that you and Judy are doing in in trying to, when you go in and work with teachers in the classroom, just as y'all were just saying, you find where they're comfortable, things that they feel good about, instructional practices that are working for them. And this is something we're gonna we're gonna do in a future podcast on risk taking, how to get teachers to take risk. And I think you you start with their comfort zone and then you you help them stretch a little bit. But you you've put together some documentation on helping teachers find what are some ways that you maybe you're going to do that direct instruction, but here's a tool that might be able to supplement and it's it's a step towards being shifted. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um oh gosh for about maybe two or three years now I've been working with Judy Harris um on developing sort of a different way of thinking about sort of planning for technology integration um, focused around learning activities. So, you know, not, you know, that uh, tools are selected after you've selected the learning activities, you know, that kind of thing. And so what we've done is we've created these taxonomies of different learning activities in different content areas. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, send in the, uh, the link to the, to the website where we've got those posted. But, we, you know, we figured out that basically there, you know, there, there are some common learning activities that you would do, like, uh, you know, for example, um, uh, you know, reading text, you know, would be a learning activity that you should be doing in every content area, of course. But how you read text in a math class is very different than how you read text in a language arts class, you know, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's a lot more variance between the kinds of learning activities you do in a science class versus, uh, you know, um, a history class or whatever. Yes. So what we've been trying to do, and with these taxonomies of learning activities in each of these disciplines, is we've been trying to be as pedagogically inclusive as we can you know, from the real traditional teacher-directed kinds of learning activities to the very student-centered, very constructivist types of learning activities. Mm -hmm. And then mapping the technologies that would support those particular activities um, with the idea in mind that in, in designing a, a lesson or project that teachers would sort of mix and match, sort of say, you know, I want to have, uh, you know, I would, I would combine these three different learning activities for this particular lesson to help meet, you know, my learning goals for the day or whatever. Uh, and the idea behind this is sort of twofold. One is it, it puts, just like, just like we were saying, Jeff, with the idea of uh, mapping the technologies to the, to the learning rather than the other way around. Right. So it puts the emphasis on learning activities first, then the technologies that might best connect. Because right. uh, incidentally, that's actually one problem that teachers locally here are facing. They have so many tools available to them that they feel overwhelmed. Mm. They're like, you mm. know, I'm not sure where to start. So one idea is that if you start with the learning activities and have a small subset of those technologies that support, you know, a presentation, for example, you know, VoiceThread, PowerPoint, you know, right. iMovie, whatever, you know, then it's all of a sudden it's easier, it's, it's less overwhelming, you know, to kind of make those choices. Hmm. But the second part of it is, and this is something that we've noticed in practice, just last week I was with, working with some middle school teachers, and um, we were going over the taxonomy and uh, social studies, and they're saying, wow, you know, it's like it's not that all these are unfamiliar to me, but I find that I tend to go with a small subset of all these possibilities and, you know, kind of a, and not think about some of these other possibilities. So mm -hmm. it's been interesting. What they're articulating is that when we say this, see this whole range, even if I tend to be more of a traditional or, or you know, didactic teacher, when I see some of these other possibilities, it gives me some ideas you know, for how I might expand my practice. 
so it's a it's kind of a uh, we were going to call this approach the backdoor approach to technology integration, <laughs> but um, but that, you know that had some <laughs> negative connotations you know for for different reasons. So uh, so we've we've kind of gotten away from that. But I do think it's sort of a, a good way to think about it because it's like technology is coming in the backdoor after the you know learning activities, but also mm-hmm. it may be a way to help teachers expand their their pedagogy. In sort of a backdoor approach, you know what I mean? Not like saying well, everything's got to be constructivist all the time, but saying, look, here's all the range. And teachers want to teach their kids. They want to provide good learning experiences for their kids. So they're going to, I think over time, you know, they're going to see, wow, you know, these are some interesting other ways to approach this. So that's the hope. We'll see, you know, we're going to do some long-term research projects to see how it actually plays out. But, but that's, uh, that's the general idea. And I think that, you know, that just, I think that leads to another point where, where is the support for these teachers? I mean, obviously these middle school teachers that you're, you know, that you're, that you're helping out have have you for support. But when you're making, you know, when there are, when there are huge shifts like this in, in pedagogy or in learning in in general, you know, where is that support to help teachers understand, you know, here's the outcome you want to reach, you know, and now you're going to bring in a technology coach or whatever you want to call them, a technology specialist who's going to help you with that learning outcome and maybe just, you know, look at it a little bit differently. And I think that's part of it is it, it, these switches, I don't think when you get down to it, are, are that big. You know, like I was thinking the other day, like we all want people to – we've always wanted kids to be good collaborators. Like that's not – that's nothing mm-hmm. new. That's that's something – that's a learning right. outcome we've all had for a long time. The problem is is what used, what used to be collaborating and what we consider collaborating today to be are two extremely different things. You know, when I was in school, collaborating was pushing my desk together with three people. Today, collaborating yep. is, mm-hmm. is working on a wiki or working on a voice thread with people around the world or on a Ning or – you know, we, I think we just have to help redefine and, and expand – you know, what does it mean to be an effective communicator? Well, heck, that looks yep. a lot mm-hmm. different today, you know, communicating via Skype than it did when I was in school and all we had was pencil and paper and we had to write the story that way, you know. And so I yeah. think it, it's just redefining these these things we've always wanted kids to be. It's just we have to help teachers redefine what that means in today's society. What does that mean when all of a sudden you can Skype around the world and you can send an email around the world and you can do all of these things on a global le- level? level you know are we preparing kids to be able to participate like that on a global level and i think that's one way to help facilitate the shift is not to say collaboration means social networking right but collaboration can be facilitated through something like skype like with a lot of your teachers are already familiar with you know and already use daily in their personal life if not professional or something like a wiki where it allows teachers to track individual students contributions with the history you know, like there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I think sometimes, at least you know, around here we tend to sort of immediately jump to like the the coolest, most innovative, most overwhelming sometimes for for teachers who are new to this kind of thing. When really there's a range of different possibilities that may get them down that road. You know, and it's still you know, wiki collaboration is still probably preferable to, you know, sitting around a table. You know, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's like no, they're all sort of good possibilities. So yeah, I think that's a good it's a good example because you know who, who doesn't want their kids to learn to, to work well together and collaborate? You know. Yeah. Mark, you touched on something uh, earlier in the conversation that I think it's important to be mindful of, um, and that's uh, the research. Um, this is an you know evidence based uh, climate, and this shift I think you know it, it, in a lot of ways is or could be facilitated by um, 
evidence, you know, and designing yeah. research um, that supports that and shows that, like you, you mentioned, um, that, you know, that the learn the the skills you know doesn't really take up more time it doesn't really uh, make a difference in the in the scores but look at all these other things um, that kind of you know that speaks to the institution that speaks to the you know that's to the system respond to that and I think um, it just it only underscores what we talk about um, as well as do um, and I think sometimes. There's also there's opportunities for people to do research, action research, and people in your position to really to get that out there. Um, and I like I don't know how how much that addresses the the urgency or the the, the speed of this shift, but it's definitely um, a piece that um, can expand and and help that cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Definitely, and part of that, um, and, and we need we'll jump to blog post of the week, is um, the whole idea of public relations and communication. That when we have our leaders out there that are saying, "I want to, I want to uh, show you some of the, the great things that our teachers are doing in our, our school. They're taking some risks. They're they're doing a lot of design work ahead of time to prepare these what we do we call discovery lessons, discovery projects." And guess what? The evidence that we have is that the kids scored the same on our Virginia test. But let's look up here at some of the uh, projects that I want to show you that your children did. Look at these communication skills. Mm-hmm. Look at these, the way that these children went and, and looked at library books, uh, database, online databases. Look at the way these kids use good design in their presentation. All these extras, and they're not even extras because... If you think about, for many of you out there in the real world, parents, these are skills that you use every day, and I think that's what you want your kids to have. So, so it's taking that evidence and then uh, re-educating the parents, and that goes back to something Jeff was saying at the start there, that so for so many, so many of us that we expect our, our schools to, for our children to be the same as they were for us. So that's part of our job is to, is to get out there and communicate to parents. And I don't think you're going to get too much of an argument um, when you just bring it into their, their world and say, what, what do you do in your job? And what are the skills that you would think your child would need if your child mm-hmm. comes into the work world today? Yeah. And I, and I would agree um, with that. You know, the more work I do with parents, I find it's a fear factor that we as, you mm-hmm. know, that administrators and schools in general have this fear about parents. But like you said, David, for for most of the parents that I've talked to, you have a simple conversation with them around that exact question. Like, well, do you do you think kids should be should learn how to write an email properly? Like, how many of you have written a story today versus how many emails have you sent? And why aren't we teaching kids how to write a proper email? Like, there's you know mm-hmm. we know research shows that you only read the first five sentences of an email. How do you get your point across in five sentences? You know, and right. and, and are we teaching that skill instead of having kids write fifteen page you know, novels. Not saying that novels aren't ba- aren't aren't bad. Though. I mean, don't get me wrong. But where is this? You know, where are these skills in our curriculum? So. Mm-hmm. All right, we, you we guys. A, why don't we doc- jump in? Go ahead. 
Oh, go ahead, Dave. This will be another long conversation. <laughs> come, we'll come back on another time. It all comes back. I know, you've, you got, know you've got some cruise directing to do. <laughs> I, I think reading between the lines, gentlemen, that we're, we need to work with the Gentech boys offline and, and deal with these egos so that we can get you all into this game of Whitaker. Well, you made that yeah. comment. Steve <laughs> never came back online. I, I don't know. He must have heard you, and that was it. He just never came back. So, <laughs> so I, I'm thinking we're gonna we'll get the Gen Tech boys back into uh, our virtual world here in the fall. We'll come up with another interesting essential question, and uh, we'll do our best to to work with the egos in the next several months and get you all back <laughs> in here. Because I know that uh, you've, you've got work to do, and I've got, I've got a couple kids I need to, to get to bed. So um, I'm wondering if we jump into what we call the blog post of the week. It can be a book. It can be a podcast. Something, um, an area that's a part of your professional learning network. And that was one of the things. I just wrote a quick post today on what I would throw into a pre-service teacher program. I Two biggies. One would be how to help this, the teachers have the confidence to take risk. And number two, get them on that road to building their professional learning networks. Get them connected to mm-hmm. blogs like the Thinking Stick and podcast and, and wikis and, and, and get, them, get them to see what, what people are doing out there <clears throat> on the cutting edge so that, that they're enticed by it. They have that scratch that they want to itch. So that's that's just one thing I wanted to throw in. But let's uh, why don't we jump into the blog post of the week? And you know, Jeff, we usually save you to last. So why don't we start with you? Okay. All right. So I've got two things I'd like to share. The first one is the, and I mentioned this in the podcast, the University of the People. And if you haven't seen this, it, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, project. And I'll just throw that in the chat room right there. It's uopeople.com, and they just opened their doors on April twentieth. And they were going to be charging $25 registration fee for this university, but they have since uh, since the last time I looked, they are now waiving all fees to go to this university. So this is basically a free online university that is looking at how do you learn in these social networks and that you should be able to get some kind of credit for that. So basically it's peer-to-peer learning where they have had um, professors create some essential questions for them and then there's actually no professor. The professors have just created this essential question. The kids go to class and they are able to use anything out there basically on the internet, anything they can find. So you're pulling from you know any podcasts that you can get on the topic that you're supposed to be learning at or any blog posts or anything that you can find and you're bringing them back in and that way everybody is teaching everybody and everybody's a learner. So you've totally flattened in the university classroom it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if this works and and uh, you know i i'm i will be watching this closely because it's one of those things to me that i'm not sure if this model will work but it's the whole idea that this kind of model might work and where is that going to push education that all of a sudden somebody has you know is brave enough to say look we can offer education there is so much free quality content out there that we could literally offer education for free at a high at a higher level <clears throat> and so you know it's one of those things that i'm really excited to see where this goes and, and this this one might not work but the idea has now been put out there so that's that that's that um that i wanted to share and then the, the blog post of the week actually comes from mashable if you don't read mashable it's one of my favorite Geeky blogs to read, and if you haven't heard, Microsoft Incarna officially succumbs to Wikipedia, and they will no longer be a Microsoft Incarna 
you know, that came out back in '96. <laughs> it it only right. ha- it has its 42,000 entries on it, and it just cannot compete with the 2.8 million entries on Wikipedia. And the best part is, you can actually go to Wikipedia and learn all about how Microsoft Encarta is now ending. And so, when you're talking Woo! about, <laughs> and when you know, when you're talking about David, what are some of the skills that we would put in these pre-service classes? This would be one of them. Is how do you use Wikipedia? And I mean truly use Wikipedia on both uh, use the content there, but also on the mass collaboration scale of how do you add content there and how could you actually use that in your classroom where you go to, say, you know, the, the Abraham Lincoln page, for example, and there is miscontent there or have kids go and have to defend what's written on that page and then go in and change it if there's something that could be written a little bit better or could be said in a little clearer way. And so, you know, for me, that would be one thing because we're not going to have the Encartas anymore. We're not buying them on the shelf. Wikipedia is becoming the encyclopedia for information. And so that's one thing I think every pre-service teacher needs to be taught is how do you truly use Wikipedia in a learning atmosphere? Definitely. All right. Very cool. All right, Michael, how about, how about you? Well, um, I would uh, – I'd just like to extend your comments about what I would add to uh, a pre-service program – by making sure that the, the, the networks that they're developing um, include uh, some radical alternatives, only, if only to show that there are different schools out there, there are different things happening um, on, the, on the outside, uh, and that you know, if you are a teacher who is inspired by different things and, and, and sort of not sure what's going to happen when you get plopped down in the, in the mainstream district. There are a lot of alternatives and some really, really amazing things going on. So that, so to, the, the cutting edge, push it out to the bleeding edge and make, and because I think that um, these alternatives are are really going to what's uh, shape some of this shift um, because mm-hmm. we might we can't throw it all out the window. You know, it's it's a progressive thing, but w- you know. Let's take what 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 is already happening out there, um, and and see where that goes. Um, I, from my contribution to the, the blog post of the week, <laughs> um, I just like to give a shout out to our friend Ben Gray. He has a great uh, uh, blog, The Edge of Tomorrow. Um, he runs a wiki, has a podcast, and has some really thoughtful uh, posts and questions. Um, most recently, some liability issues and, and questions of equity and tech guidelines and uh, I get a lot out of uh, reading his his stuff. I'll, I'll send you a link here. Great. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Mark. Well, mine is uh, perhaps a little bit more uh, practical you know, and, and maybe less thought-provoking, but one of the most useful blogs I follow, and it's called I Learn Technology. And it's uh, there's not a whole lot of information about the creator, but uh, the woman's name is Kelly Tinkley, and she describes herself as a K-5 technology teacher. But uh, she keeps up with this site amazingly. I mean, it's typically at least one post a day, sometimes more often. Um, and what she does is she'll introduce a new tool or resource, and there's three sections to every post. And it's real, you know, kind of quick and simple. It's like, what is it in sort of basic language? Uh, you know, what, what can you do with it and all that? How to integrate it into the classroom? So it's got some real good classroom-based examples. And then, you know, kind of management or practical sort of real-world tips about if you're going to be using this in the classroom. So it's a fantastic resource for, 
you know, finding new things. And a lot of times I see things here that I don't see in some of the other blogs. I mean, I, I follow a lot of these blogs um, through NetVibes, but uh, this is one that I seem to always get some good uh, some good nuggets, and it's always connected with kids and learning. Uh, you know, some of the some of the connections are a little more tenuous than others, but uh, but you know, always some some cool stuff, some good resources. So it's something that I point teachers to all the time as well. So it's good good stuff. This I'll is this is that. a great Excellent. site. This is cool. Thanks. Well, okay. uh, Jeff, will you send it to me? I am me. Yeah, yep, I'll send it to you. It's a good little okay. site. All right. Um, my I, I did uh, I have a blog post by Clay Burrell, who's now with uh, Change.org, uh, in his blogging, and it's the title of the the post is "What Makes a Good Teacher Preparation Program." So that that was very interesting what he wrote. But I, one of the things, and this kind of ties into our core knowledge discussion versus constructivism. It was interesting when I was there in Charlottesville that. Um, Years before this uh, very famous book had come out called Cultural Literacy, Literacy by, uh, I guess, a Dr. Hirsch, Professor Hirsch. Um, and I found out at, when, as I was leaving UVA that it was right, the, he was located right there in, at, in Charlottesville. And what Clay has been doing uh, in the last couple of weeks, he's been writing some posts coming at the uh, Core Knowledge blog, they have a blog for it, where he's really been very understanding of the importance of content, because we use the content to teach the skills to get us to the to the concepts. Um, so I just think Clay Clay's a, a fellow who, who pushes it and, and, and makes us really question what's going on around us. Uh, he's a very talented guy. So you can start with just what makes a good teacher preparation program, but, but definitely change.org and the, and the other bloggers who are involved in that. It's, it's a great place to, to read about progressive education. Excellent. That sounds good, Dave. And all this will be in the mm-hmm. show notes. All of it's in the show notes. That's the best part. You don't have to write any of it down. You just have to go to <laughs> sospodcast.org, and you'll have it all there. Excellent. Links and everything. Excellent. That's the best part of it. All right, David. So, uh, looking towards the future, I know we're having we're trying to figure out when we're gonna when we're gonna broadcast next. We had the April thirtieth set, but then um, yeah. I'm moving to a new house and have to my have to take down my studio here and have to reset it up on April thirtieth. And I tried that in Shanghai. Do you remember? I was thinking about that when I left Shanghai. Yeah. We tried to do a podcast <laughs> show on the same day I was moving out of Shanghai for good. It doesn't work, so I'm not even gonna try it this time. Um, so I'm not sure when our next show is after that. Do we have a Do we have a date, or should we just leave it open and follow Twitter, and you'll you'll find it? Right. We'll. I'll get. Yeah. Let's let's do Twitter. We're gonna we're gonna have the uh, John Micton on. John's been very patient with us, and uh, he's the question is going to be how can um, how can we help teachers take more risk in their teaching? And I think that's just a very powerful question. Just looking down the road a little bit, um, once we get into May, we're going to get into the uh, central question of how to measure how shifted your school is, and we're going to have Andy Torres and hopefully an administrator from ISKL, and we have a few other very interesting guests coming in uh, by the end of the year to, to wrap everything up, but we'll, uh, we'll get the, that next show date out on Twitter. Sounds good. I love Twitter just for that kind of thing. You can leave things open-ended all the time now. All right. Well, Mark and Michael, thank you so much for joining us and getting up early on your side of the world. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we appreciate appreciate you you joining us over here. So that's going to wrap it up for this Shifting Our Schools podcast. Until next time, keep shifting those schools.